Well, while they are taking their seat, if you would take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Joshua, we are going to do some fighting this morning. Sound like a plan? You guys don't sound up for it. And we are going to start in Joshua chapter 1. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for all of the many blessings you give us, Lord. We thank you that you are the greatest storyteller on earth. And we thank you that you have crafted your story in such a way that it is absolutely amazing for the believer in Jesus Christ to read through and to understand the things that you would tell us in your word. God, help us to uh, not just read your word, but to understand your word. Help us to apply your word to our lives. And God, help these these stories that happened thousands of years ago to be relevant to our lives. And God, help us to be able to overcome sin uh, in the same sorts of way that these these followers of yours were able to go in and conquer the land. And so, God, I pray for us this morning that we would be conquerors in Jesus' name. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, Joshua chapter 1, if you have not been around here very long or you've been kind of hit and miss, we have started in Genesis and we're working our way all the way through to Revelation. And this morning, um, ironically enough, on Memorial Day, we land in the book of Joshua where Joshua and his group of warriors are going to go in and take over the land. If you've been keeping up and if you're interested in keeping up, all of our messages are online. And so if, if we, if I review something briefly that you don't remember, you can always go onto our website and you can pick up where we left off. But in the book of Genesis, God creates everything and then the people mess it up. And then by the time you get to Genesis chapter five, uh, God, excuse me, Genesis chapter six, God is so fed up with man that he destroys everything in the flood. Then he starts over with Noah and his family and things go well for a little while. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 11, the world, again, is sinful, and the people of the world are building a tower unto themselves as opposed to making a name for God. And so what God does is he comes down, and he confuses their language, and he spreads the people out all over the face of the earth. And then in Genesis chapter 12, God picks a man named Abraham, and he says, Abraham, through you, I'm going to bless the nations of the world, and I'm going to draw the nations back to myself. And so from Genesis chapter 12 all the way to the book of uh, revelation God's plan is to draw the nations of the world together through Abraham So you keep going through the book of Joshua, excuse me You keep going through the book of Genesis and the people begin to get more sinful despite these great promises from God Now they're in slavery uh, And they're in slavery so that they can be contained in a small area and they cannot get a lot more sinful And so now in the book of Exodus God comes in he's ready to use the people So he frees the people from slavery and he's going to march them to the land And he's going to march them into the promised land, which he's promised to give them well, they get going to the promised land and they send spies in and the spies come back and they give a report and they say, yes, the land is great, but there are giants living in the land and we cannot go in there and take it. There's no way we can do it. And so God says, because of your unbelief, you're going to die in the wilderness. And so for 40 years, God is taking them out one by one, sometimes 20,000 at a time. But for the most part, they die in the wilderness. And now Moses has died. And you pick up with Joshua. Joshua is a disciple of Moses. He is, most of the time when you're reading through the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy, Joshua is right there beside Moses. Remember, Joshua is one of the 12 spies that go into the land. And Joshua is one of the two spies, Joshua and Caleb, who come back and give a good report of the land. So Joshua would be at the top 
of his contemporaries. He's one of the few that trust God in the midst of, of a group of people who are just not trusting God. And so he's one of the two people who didn't die and were able to come into the promised land. Two out of a million. So Moses dies before the book of Joshua. And in Moses' farewell speech, we laughed about this on Wednesday night. But Moses' farewell speech to the people goes something like this. God told me to write you a song and he told me to write you a song because you're a wicked and rebellious people and you were wicked, stiff necked, hard hearted and rebellious when I was your leader. And you're going to be even worse than that after I die. See ya. And so he writes him a song and he writes him a song that's inspired by God so that when they do get wicked and hard hearted, that they will remember that Moses called it. And they will repent of their sins and turn back. And so I say that because it's going to come up in just a minute. I want you to remember that Moses' farewell speech. So now, book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 1. And before you get, um, before we get too far, I want you to know we're only going to cover up until the people get into Jericho. I'm going to split the book of Joshua up into two sections. And so, uh, when your stomach starts growling, don't worry, we're not going to go through the whole book. Sound good? All right the biggest amen I got from you guys this morning. Now it came about, Joshua chapter 1 verse 1. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hivites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. That's a good promise, right? Can you imagine the Lord speaking to you? And first of all, just so we know, um, the promised land is about the size of Vermont. All right, you guys are all familiar with the northeast state of Vermont. It's a relatively small state, but there's the Jordan River and the Dead Sea on one side. Let me do this backwards for you. The Jordan River on the, and the Dead Sea on one side, and then there's the Great Sea on the other side. And so all of this land in the middle, they're going to get to have. And then if you were to look down here, this is Egypt over here. This is tough going backwards. All those guys on the Navy submarines that write backwards, that's a task. Anyways, Egypt and the Red Sea are going to be down here. Well, right now, the people are over in this area. There's the Jordan River here, and then Jericho is right here. And so they're probably within eyesight of Jericho. They're just going to have to cross the river. Well, now God has come to Joshua, and he has said, Be strong and courageous. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Now, if you're Joshua and you're a warrior, now, if you ever watch the History Channel, any of you history buffs out there watch the History Channel, all of the History Channel shows, when you talk about the greatest warrior or the greatest general or commander of troops that ever lived, they all say Joshua, just so you know. Greatest warrior there ever was. And so Joshua has God stand before him and he says, no man will prevail against you. 
Now, I don't know if you've ever been into a combat situation or not, but there's all sorts of things that you do before you go into combat. You make all sorts of great plans. You make all sorts of great backup plans. You take all sorts of precautions, and then you train like the devil in order to pull this thing off. And so that it all goes off well. Now, if you're Joshua and he says, no man is going to prevail against you, well, then shoot. Take your sword and your skivvies and let's go. Let's fight. If God's given it to me and no man is going to stand before me, let's do this thing. Let's go get the promised land. Amen. That's what God says. Let's do it. And he just told you right out of his mouth. And so he says, be strong and courageous for you shall give this people possession of the land, which I swore to their fathers to give them only verse seven. Be very, excuse me, be strong and very courageous. Listen to this. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so God says, if you want to prosper, Joshua, don't lift weights, don't do push-ups, don't train in hand-to-hand combat, don't shoot arrows. What do you do to be prosperous? You keep the word of the Lord. You be strong and courageous and you be careful to obey the Lord. Now you should be thinking back now. You should be thinking Leviticus chapter 26. You should be thinking Deuteronomy chapter 28. You should be thinking blessings and curses. If the people obey, they'll inherit the blessings. And if they disobey, they'll inherit the curses. You with me? And so what do you think is going to happen if the people do what the Lord said and they keep the word of the Lord? What do you think is going to happen to them? Great success. Let's go over. To chapter 1, verse 16. And so Joshua, in the midst of chapter 1, he's turned to the people. He's told the people what's going to happen. And then they answer him. And remember that going away speech that Moses said? Listen to this. Then, chapter 1, verse 16. They answered Joshua, saying, All that you have commanded us we will do. And wherever you send us we will go. That sound humorous? It gets better. Remember the Old Testament people said that right before they worshipped the calf? Everything you've said, we will do. And then they start worshiping a calf. But if you're Joshua and you're a leader of the people, listen to what they say next. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. <laughs> you think. This is that point where Joshua has to go, Lord, this is, not, this is not what I wanted. No, don't treat me anything like you treated Moses. Treat me better than Moses because you were a wicked and hard-hearted people. Remember, Moses just told you that. Now, don't tell me you're going to treat me just like Moses. But anyways, they say, just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And so anyways, you have the people at least giving lip service to that they're going to do the things that Joshua said. So they have gotten to the edge of the river. They're going to send over two spies into Jericho. And so I think Caleb says, okay, 12 spies didn't work out so good. Only two came back with a good report. I'm just going to send two this time. So he sends over two spies. Two spies come back. And when they're over there in Jericho, chapter 2, verse 8, they talk to a woman named Rahab. And this is what Rahab tells them. Now, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land 
and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away from before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven and above and on earth beneath. And so here the two spies go into the land, and Rahab, the woman who we call Rahab the prostitute, she recognizes that the Lord is with that army on the other side of the river, and the whole town is petrified, and no man in the town has any courage. Now, when you go out, let's say that we were to get in a fight with Edenton, and we were all going to fight with swords. Would you want the people on your team to have courage, or would you want them to be a bunch of weakling cowards? Great. You guys sound like a courageful batch this morning. Good deal. You want your folks to have courage. And one of the reasons that our military fights the way that they do, have you ever seen in any of the movies when the guys are going to do some sort of urban fighting, they always throw a grenade into the room first and then they go? Do you know that that grenade has two purposes? One, it's to take out anybody that's in there. But the other thing is that when somebody busts through your front door, if things start exploding, you lose all courage and the ability to function. And so one of the goals in fighting is to make absolutely as much noise as possible because all of the courage from the people you're fighting, is they're, they're just losing it all. And they just start fumbling and bumbling over themselves. Okay? That's why you lead with grenades. You lead with all sorts of explosions because their morale just drops totally. That's the truth. So anyway, so this is what's happened. All the morale in Jericho is shot. And so now they're going to go over to Jericho. Now in chapter 3, verse 2. It came about at the end of three days, that's the three days that they were spying out the land, that the officers went through the midst of the camp. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be a distance between you and a distance of it, about 200 cubits, or a thousand yards, by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And so we pick up, and the spies come back with a good report. They're about to go into the land, and and Moses, excuse me, I've been saying Moses for weeks now. It's going to be hard for me to say Joshua. Joshua doesn't tell the people, sharpen your swords and straighten your arrows. He doesn't say any of that stuff. What does he say before God's people are going to go into combat? Consecrate yourselves. Get yourselves ready. Make sure that you and the Lord are are on good terms. Make yourself holy before you're going to go into battle with the Lord. And notice how they're going to go into the battle with the Lord. It says that the Ark of the Covenant is going to be a thousand yards in front of the army. Now picture this. A thousand yards. That's Ten football fields is going to be the difference between God and the rest of the army. That means that God is the one out in front. God is the one leading the way. We as Christians, if we're going to fight the Lord's battles, if we're going to fight on this earth for the Lord, which we should be doing, we should, as Christians, be light pushing back darkness. You get that imagery there? That we should be like giant lights going into the darkness, making it light. That should be our job. But the idea here in Joshua is that God is the one out front, and we are people who consecrate ourselves, and we follow behind the Lord. 
That means that we don't just grab something and run with it a thousand miles an hour, but we consecrate ourselves and we go behind the Lord and we go where he leads us. With me? That's a good, that's a pretty good preaching point, if I do say so myself. It's some good imagery that God gives us out of the book of Joshua. That we don't always need to be coming up with things, but we need to be keeping sure, excuse me, making sure that we are on a daily basis consecrating ourselves so that when it is time to go into the war, we are qualified and ready and we're usable by the Lord. It's going to get better. Now, uh, in the rest of this chapter and in the next chapter, uh, he gives them instructions. You'll find out that the Jordan River is in its flood stages. You guys all know what a river looks like in its flood stage. It's substantially wider than it normally is. And normally, in flood stages and rivers like this, it's flowing much faster. And so he says, here's the plan. The priests that are a thousand yards in front of everybody, they're going to take the ark and they're going to walk up to the edge of the water. And when they get to the edge, nothing's going to happen. But nothing's going to happen until they get their feet in the water. And so can you imagine being one of these guys carrying the ark? You've got this baby on your shoulders. And Joshua says, all right, guys, here's the plan. There's a bridge across the way. There's a bridge down in Edenton we could come over. But we're not going to do that. We're just going to walk through the middle of it. And so he says, but trust me, when your feet hit the water, then the river will split. Can you imagine being the first guy in the river? You're carrying this box and your feet are in the river and you're like, Oh, this is never going to work. This is never going to work. And then you take more steps. And the first guy's probably knee deep, thigh deep, before the, the last guy's feet get in the water. And then the scriptures say that the river parts. And the water stands up here. And it says all downstream is dry now. And they all cross on dry land, just like the people cross the Red Sea on dry land. And so if you're one of the people, this is, this is when I want you to discern your heart. If you're one of the people... And you've got to examine your own heart. I can't do this for you. Um, all of you ride down the road probably with your spouse. And all of your spouses probably know how to get somewhere better than you do. Right? Normally? Most of these yeses. Uh, Jesse and I have discovered why some older couples ride separate to places. We figured it out. You go your way. I'll go mine. And we'll be friends when we get there. How about that? That's the key to a, a long, lastful marriage sometimes. Well, anyways. Um, Every other couple here is poking themselves too, so I don't feel bad. So when you are a spouse and your husband says, this is where we're going. When you don't think it's right, do you get angry? This is never going to work. This is not the way to go. Do you do that? Or do you say, I don't think this is the right way. You should probably rethink this. You see, there's a heart issue there. Like when your kid goes, there's a, when your kid says, Mom, why do we need to do that? That's one thing. When he goes, why? That's a whole nother thing, right? And so where's your heart in this? When you're following behind Joshua, are you thinking, I don't know about this, but I'm following and I'm going anyways. Or are you the one in the back naysaying, this is never going to work. It's never going to work. It's never going to work. It's never going to work. And you're angry the whole time. You see, there's two different kinds of people. I think, this is I think, I'm a young man. I could be wrong. But there are times when I have followed the Lord and I have thought the whole time, this is crazy. This is crazy. This is crazy. I know what we're doing is crazy, Lord, but I do it anyways. And I think that there's an aspect to faith where you can think that it's crazy, but you do it with a joyful heart and you're in good shape. I think that that's okay. I don't think that that we're always supposed to 
to, to blindly go and just be all in. I, I, I think that that sounded wrong, but you get what I'm saying. It's the heart. It's the heart that God's after. So you can follow going, oh boy, I'm not sure about this, and do what the Lord tells you and be excited when it turns out for good. Or you can be the naysayer along the way who has a, who has a heart like in the book of Numbers. With me? So it gets even better. So what happens is that now you have this whole army of fighting men, and they're going to go over and they're going to take over the whole promised land. So now they're going to cross the river, right? And the river splits wide open. They walk through on dry land. They build a memorial, and they build a memorial in verse 20 of chapter 4. And it says, those 12 stones, this is chapter 4, verse 20, those 12 stones which they had taken up from the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. He said to the sons of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in the time to come, saying, what are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he had dried up before us until we had crossed, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. And so one of the reasons that he has them take a break, you've got soldiers, battle-hardened, trained soldiers, and they get across the river, and there's the city. It's go time. And what does he do? He says, time out. I want you to set up a memorial so that when your children ask you, what are these stones, it gives you a chance to tell your children that the Lord's hand is mighty, and he did this so that the whole world would know it. And so you see here that even though Joshua is taking the people into the land, one of God's primary purposes in all of this that's going on is that the world may see how great Christ is. You with me? You and everything that you're doing in life doesn't just affect you. But when bad things come your way, when good things come your way, everything that you've ever gotten in life or you've been through in life happens to you so that the world around you can see how great Christ is. And so the world is looking to you and what you do with the situations you're giving to see something great about God. And so the whole world should be able to look at your life and see that the Lord is mighty and so that they'll fear the Lord also. And so now it's go time, right? So we've built our, let's go, Joshua. We got to get into the land. We've crossed the river. We've built our little statue. Let's go attack the city, right? It's a big city. I've heard that these walls are about 14 feet thick like 20-some feet high, I've heard that Jericho is an absolute, was an absolute beast of a city. It was impenetrable. And so now it's time to go. Joshua's got the troops all together, and they're ready to fight. And what do you think they're getting ready to do? Joshua says, time out, guys. One more thing we got to do. Hate to break it to you. Now it came about, this is chapter 5, verse 1. Now it came about when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. And so isn't this the perfect time to go in and fight? You don't have the river separating in you anymore. Bodies of water are natural defenses. You don't have the river in between you. Now it's them in the fortress of a city and you're out in the open. Now they're scared. Let's go in and get them. But Joshua says, no. At that time, verse 2, the Lord said to Joshua, make for yourself flint knives and circumcise again the sons of Israel the second time. 
what? You want to do what? Can you imagine uh, Colin Powell taking the troops into the war? Can you imagine General Schwarzkopf getting the guys off the plane in Iraq before the first Gulf War? And they give them all their equipment. They get them right up to the city that they're about to attack. And General Schwarzkopf says, all right, guys, circumcision time. Can you imagine? You got a group of warriors that are getting ready to go in and fight for you. And then you call a timeout and that's the play you want? Loosen up, guys. This is, I'm not going to call that play this morning. Don't worry, okay? But this is what you want to do? Joshua, this is your big plan? Remember, though, he says, be strong and courageous. And remember, keep my law. And if you remember, that generation that died in the wilderness, they were all bad parents. On the eighth day, the Mosaic law says circumcise your children. And you learn here that none of those men who were of fighting age had been circumcised by their parents. That's why at the end of Moses' life, he renews the covenant in the book of Deuteronomy with the people. Because they hadn't been taught. And so none of these people had been, had been circumcised. So Joshua, verse 3, made himself flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel. Now, do you remember back in the book of... Genesis, when Jacob, after Jacob has this, uh, when, after Jacob finds the Lord, uh, something happens to one of his daughters. One of his daughters is taken advantage of. And the brothers, excuse me, the sons of Jacob tell the men, hey guys, we'll make a covenant with you. It's okay. We'll intermarry with you guys. The only stipulation is that you have to be circumcised. And so the men are like, Okay, your daughters are pretty. We'll get circumcised. And then the day after all the men are circumcised, Jacob and his boys come in and they kill every single one in that town. That's the sort of pain that circumcision gets you into. Okay? If you're a grown man and you're doing this. Listen, if this is the first time anybody's talked about circumcision in front of you, you got to loosen up. It's okay. So anyways, now you've got this band of warriors. You've got this band of warriors, and they've all been hit pretty hard in a pretty critical spot, and they're all in a bunch of pain. And they're looking at a city that they're supposed to attack that's a fortress, and they're standing out here in the plains, all in pain. And this is God's plan? This is the way you want to do it, God? Can you imagine the questions going through your mind? Can you imagine Joshua's second in command has got to be going, this ain't going to go well. This isn't going well at all. Bunch of bad ideas so far. Anyways, they get circumcised, and now they're about to go into the land. Uh, go ahead and flip over to... I'm going to catch up to you in chapter 7, but I'm going to tell you the story along the way. What happens is that they end up recovering. They recognize the Passover. All of this when they're about to fight. Now they get to the land of Jericho. The walls are tall, and the city is big, and the walls are thick also. And what does God tell them to do? Don't take battering rams. Don't take fire. Don't take any of that stuff. He says, I want you to walk around the city. I want you to walk around the city one time each day and don't say anything. You want me to what? You want me to walk around the city one time each day for six days? And he says, yeah, that's right. And then what I want you to do is on day seven, I want you to walk around the city seven times. You want us to what? You want us to walk around the city one day, one time each day, and then seven times on the seventh day. And that's the plan, Joshua. Joshua, what military school did you go to? You must have went to, well, I, can't, I don't want to insult anybody on Memorial Day. I was going to make a, make a military crack, but that's okay. Um, 
on one of the other branches of service. Anyways, I'll make it next week. Joshua, this is your plan? This is what you want to do? And he says, yeah. And after you walk around it seven times, the seventh day, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take, I want you to take a horn, right? Joshua, come on, man. We're soldiers. We fight. And Joshua says, yeah, but this is what God said. I want you to take a horn and I want you to blow the horn. You want us to do what? We're supposed to kill these folks. Yeah, but this is how you're going to do it. You're going to walk around the city seven times on the, se- in, on the seventh day. And then I want all of the men to blow their horns. Joshua, man, you've lost it. You're the craziest guy I've ever met in my life. This is never going to work. And so the guys line up and they blow their horns. And what happens? Walls fall down. And it doesn't just say that they fall down. It says that they fall flat so that the men can run in and they can conquer the city. Do you realize that a 14-foot thick wall doesn't just fall down flat? That if a 14-foot thick wall falls down, it's still a relatively high wall and difficult to get over and into? You guys want me to blow this thing, don't you? Wednesday night. Wednesday night. Give me, give me a couple days to practice. My mouth is too dry now, or I'd do it. Anyways, so that's the plan. Walk around the city, blow the horn. Guys... The way that God wants to work in your life is not the way that God works normally. Excuse me. is not the way that other people's lives work. If God wants to do something with you, it is not going to look normal to the rest of the world. The rest of the world is going to think that you are crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, I'm going to use Dr. Tarkington and, and Ms. Alma as an example. They left Windsor many years ago, went overseas, served as missionaries. That's crazy. People don't do that. People don't, people don't leave town and go to another country and serve the Lord. There are thousands of people, thousands of people who their lives have touched because they did things a little bit different and they did it God's way and not man's way. You with me? And there's something to be said about that. We need to be people who have God out in front of us. And we are following him wherever he goes. And we are not bickering and backbiting and gossiping about each other behind him. But we are consecrating ourselves on a daily basis. And we are following God wherever he leads. And listen, sometimes God stays still for a little while. And then sometimes he runs like there's a pack of dogs behind him. Okay? Sometimes in the Christian walk, you sit still and you have to, you consecrate yourself and you, that you focus on holy living. And then there's other times where you grab the back of the person in front of you and you run for dear life and you keep up with God wherever he's going. Life goes in stages. And I don't know what stage we're in and when we'll change stages, but this is the point. We need to be an army for the Lord who is busy consecrating ourselves, living holy lives. And so the people do this. They consecrate themselves. They're living holy. They do what the Lord says. They march around the city one time each day. And then on the seventh day, they march around seven seven times. And then God says, go into the city, fight, slay everyone, and everything in the city belongs to me. And so they do it. All except one guy. But they don't know that somebody wasn't obeying. And so Jericho falls. The people are victorious. Then they get ready to go into the next town. They've defeated the most difficult city. Piece of cake. But God said, when you go in there, everything belongs to me. Now they're going to go to a much lesser city. And they march into the city. And they're going to go about things the exact same way. 
The only problem is, is that there was someone in the camp that had sin in their life. You listen to this? There was one man, when they were doing what God told them to do in Jericho, who didn't do things right. What he did, let me find it and I'll tell you. Anyways, I forgot to circle it, but I'll tell you. This guy, 719. Yep, that's the one, that's exactly what I had. So they get defeated in Ai, and in chapter 20, I want to tell you this. It says, so Achan, this is after they find out that Achan is the one who sinned. It says, so Achan answered Joshua and said, truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle, it's kind of like a a robe, if you will, from Shinar, that's Babylon. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Babylon and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, then I coveted them and I took them and behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. And so here's a group of people who are warriors for the Lord and they go in and they do great things for the Lord. They take the city of Jericho and they clean, they wipe the floor with the people of Jericho. They destroy the whole thing. And then they go to repeat it again and they fail miserably. Why? Because one man among them had sin. And listen to Achan's sin. Achan grew up in the wilderness. He's part of that wilderness generation. He would have been one of the people that were under 20 when the people failed to go into the land. And so all he would have known is the wilderness. And what does he steal? He steals a robe, a Babylonian robe. How are you going to walk around town sporting a Babylonian robe that you stole and nobody's going to know? Come on. That is just like us as Christians to, to have some sort of sin that we like, but we can't tell anybody about it because it'll be embarrassing. And if we expose our sin in the open, everybody will know about it. And so what does he do? He steals a robe that he likes. And he steals some silver that he likes and some gold that he likes. And everybody knew that he was poor to begin with, right? That's the kind of story you could think. And then what does he do with it? So he takes all of his sin and what does he do? He lifts up the rug in his house. And he digs a hole in the sand. And he puts all of those sinful garments and all of those things into a hole in the ground. Covers them up with the rug so nobody can see them. And he and his family end up dying a very tragic death. You can read about it when you go home. But they all end up dying. He, his family, his whole clan die. Listen to this. If you have sin in your house and you keep it buried, it will kill you and it will kill your whole family as well. And it will bring pain and misery on our church as well. And so, brothers and sisters, if you are going to be warriors for Christ, if we are going to be an army, we need to be a people who are following behind God and we are consecrating ourselves on a daily basis because your sin and my sin, if it's not dealt with, has consequences, big consequences. And each of us, each of us pay consequences for each other's sins because I would hate For us to be primed and ready to go. For us to reach this town and this county for Christ. And we can't because there's sin in the camp. And so I want you to read through the story of Joshua. And read through the story of Achan in this battle at Ai. And I want you to see that the Lord cannot bless sin. It has to be dealt with. And the crazy thing about his sin, I don't get it. It's nothing that he could, it's nothing that he could be proud of amongst the people. It's all things that he has to bury and hide. He can't even tell anybody about it. 
Leave that junk behind, brothers and sisters. If you have something in your life that you have to hide, if you have something that you can't wear out in the open, put it off. Get rid of it. Give it to God and do away with it and live a holy, consecrated life so that when God is ready to use us as an army of God to reach the world, we'll be qualified. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the word given to Joshua. God, I pray that we would be genuine, absolutely genuine, when we tell you that everything you've said we will do and we will obey you. God, I pray that we would be people whose lives reflect that. God, I pray that we would be people who go where you go and stop where you stop. God, when you tell us to do absolutely wild things, like walk into the river with a giant box and you're going to part the river, I pray that we would obey. Lord, I pray we would be content walking through the river on dry ground as opposed to taking the bridge. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who are content to walk around a city six times being silent and then six times on the seventh day being silent and then on the seventh day, I pray that we would be a people who would stand behind horns that you told us to blow as opposed to standing behind swords and battling rams and guns and missiles. Lord, I pray that we would be your people. I pray that we would be obedient. And Lord, I pray that we would never covet sinful things. I pray that we would never have things in our life or our houses that we have to hide. Lord, I pray that we can be ourselves out in public and we can be the people who you've called us to be. Lord, help us as a church to consecrate ourselves to follow you wherever you want to take us. And God, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, if you're here and you need to get anything right with the Lord, the altar is open for you to pray. Uh, Not a lot of people come to the front of our church to pray, but we use this section as an altar, and you are welcome to pray about anything. You're welcome to pray for anyone. You are welcome to give God everything in your life. If you've got anything sinful in your life that you want to give Him, you give Him that as well. But the Lord is very clear. He takes sin very, very, very seriously. Go home and read what happened to Achan and his whole family because of sin. Brothers, I beg you, let's rid our lives of it. Live pure lives before Christ so that we'll be ready for him whenever he calls. Just because you come down front doesn't mean you're living a life of sin, so don't be afraid of that. You come down, pray for your lost friends and family because they're they're doomed as well without Christ. Without Jesus Christ, we're all hopeless. And so if you're here... You've never given your life to Christ. You don't understand what I'm referring to when I say we'll follow Christ wherever he tells us to go. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. When we put our faith in him and his death on the cross and his resurrection, when we will turn from our sin, he is faithful and will save us from all unrighteousness. And so if you've never met the Lord either, you come and we'll talk and I'll introduce you to him. Let's sing. Well, thank you guys for coming. It was good to see you this Memorial Day weekend. I hope the rest of your week and summer at that uh, goes exceptionally well. Uh, Don't forget, Vacation Bible School. We need all hands on deck. Uh, Make sure you sign up and we'll touch base with you. There is a lunch after church next week, June the 1st, that uh, we need need you to be signed up so we can know how many people to prepare for. And then we're going to roll out all the details. I promise you, it's going to be a great time. Brother, um, Brother Alan Castillo, would you close us in prayer?